0: Genesis chapter 42 we're getting close to being done with this book and close to being done with 2020 who's ready to be done with 2020 all right i don't know if 2021 is going to be any better but uh, at least we can all we can all be hopeful but here we are in Genesis chapter 42 and so at this point in the story just kind of a little bit of review uh, we are now in the famine that it was uh, prophesied that was going to come. Uh, Joseph had prophesied through Pharaoh's dream, through interpreting Pharaoh's dream, that there was going to be seven good years, and then there was going to be seven really, really bad years, years that were so bad, they were going to consume all that was gained in those seven years. And so, uh, Joseph in his wisdom, he prepared Egypt. He got them ready for what was coming. And so, the world is beginning to suffer now, but Egypt is doing just fine. And so, but Israel and his family, they're all starting to feel the effects now. And so we know that uh, Joseph was about seventeen when he went into Egypt. When he stood before Pharaoh, he was 30 years old. And so at least seven years, more than seven years have passed now. So Joseph now has not seen his family in at least 20 years. So that's how much time has passed. And so in verse one, it says, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. I like what Jacob said there. It's like, Why are you guys just sitting around looking at each other? And think about it. Back then, you know, if a famine comes, I mean, how do you grow crops when there's no rain? You know, how do you, what are you supposed to do? With You know, back then, I mean... You were just at the mercy of nature, and so when things just weren't happening in nature, I mean, really, what could you possibly do? And they got to a point where they're just sitting around. Well, you know what? You know, there's always something you can do. And so Jacob said, "Stop just sitting around staring at each other. You know what? Let's go to, e- go to Egypt. Go buy some food there." And they just kind of remind me of a lot of the welfare cases of America today. That you know, that you know, that they're struggling to find a job that doesn't make them work very hard and pays them good money, and they just sit around doing nothing, you know, and you know what these guys need is a dad to give them a good kick in the backside and say, what are you doing sitting around, you know, looking at video games for and looking at the television for, get your sorry, sorry carcass out and go get a job, go do something, do something, you know, it's amazing how many people don't have jobs and yet their yards are horrible, you know, I, I enjoy doing yard work, I do, you know, one of the reasons I was excited when we got three acres is like, oh, man, I've got all these things I can do in my yard. Well, here's the only problem. I never have time to work on my yard. And so the thing is, I'd like to think, and you know, and a lot of the stuff that I need to do doesn't require any money. It just requires a lot of work. And I'd like to think that if I didn't have a job, my yard would be really nice. But listen, there's a reason these people's yards are trash. It's because they have no character. And that's the same reason they have no job, because they have no character. Now, in this case... You know, I'm sure these guys had some character when it came to working, but here they they did they needed a kick in the pants. Jacob, like a good father, gave it to him. And so verse 3 says, And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. Now, I believe in the next few chapters, we're going to end up seeing how Egypt became such a great world power. Because think about this, all right? Let's think about this because I think this is especially relevant today. But while everyone else is dying, And not producing anything because, you know, the rest of the world, they don't know what's coming. Okay? so the rest of the world now, they're not producing anything. People are probably starting to die. But Egypt, they have plenty and everyone's going to Egypt to buy their corn. So think about it. Egypt is basically collecting the treasures from all over the world. Because what good is silver if you're starving? You know, what good is gold if you're starving and so these people, the only place where there's any food you can go, they have to go to Egypt. So they're getting all this power. And later we see, too, that when even the Egyptians started running out of things, that they started basically, uh, you know, Joseph started taking all their land for it. And Egypt literally got control of everything. And I believe that's how they became so powerful, because they did. Because they had so much of what really mattered during a horrible famine, they were able to basically accumulate the wealth of the known world at that time. And so, I kind of wonder sometimes, if we're not seeing everything that's going on right now in 2020, and I'm not an economic expert, but I often wonder if we're seeing things set up to make the United States fully become Babylon. Because think about it, most of the world is shut down right now. Now, a lot of the U.S. is open. A lot of business is open. A lot of stuff still producing. But a lot of more countries are locked down even more than we are right now. They have even more restrictions. Well, the thing is, you know, our country, you know, we're the breadbasket of the world. And all these countries that haven't been doing anything, this is really going to come back to haunt them. And at the end, the strongest are going to survive. And I think the United States is the strongest. And so I really think a lot of this stuff that's going on, and really we've led the world in doing a lot of the stupid stuff that we're doing, and it makes sense because if the rest of the world does all the stupid stuff our country is doing, you know, we'll survive it, they won't. I think we'll become more powerful, and they won't. And, you know, it, it may help lead to the type of famine in the world where the world has to come to the United States to get everything, just like they had to go to Egypt. To get everything back then. And then that way, when God decides, when he's pouring out his wrath to destroy Babylon, the rest of the world's in trouble because where are we going to get our stuff from? I don't know. Just, you know, this is just kind of the way I think sometimes. You know, I'm making Bible prophecy fit today's situation. Could be another hundred years, but at the same time, you know, that's just my way of watching. You know, I'm speculating, but we do see that Egypt becomes very powerful because of this famine. And so, um, you know, what the world is and what countries are doing to themselves right now is so foolish. And it's like, how is our country, you know, dumb enough to do this type of thing? You know, 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 Donald Trump, I mean, he obviously knows a lot about, you know, finances and things. Why would he allow, you know, as much of this to happen as he had? And maybe it's because he knows this is going to make us stronger than ever as a country. I don't know. Just... Just my opinion, just how I think, just a little side note there, but I think it's interesting to, uh, we need to take note of the fact that all the stuff that went down is what made Egypt so powerful. And so, um, you know, just keep an eye on these things that's going on. But anyway, verse 4 says, But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. Now notice, 20 years later, Jacob has not changed how he's fathering his children because notice how it's okay for his other sons to get in trouble, but not Benjamin. Okay? And at the same time, and you know, and this is the thing too, Benjamin would be a grown man at this point. Because it's been 20 years since Joseph was gone, and Joseph knew his brother Benjamin, so he's in his 20s, and yet, you know, Daddy doesn't want him to leave his side. Okay? Now, at the same time, I could see not wanting all your sons to go, because what if something happened to all of them? It's kind of like the, anybody familiar with the Sullivan Act or the Sullivan Law? Know what that is. How many have seen the movie The Fighting Sullivans? Okay, it was true story. I think it was five sons. Uh, five brothers. They all joined the Navy. They were all on the same ship. And it got bombed and all five of them died. And it's like the whole movie, all it is is it's making you love this family of brothers that are always fighting with everybody. And then they all join the military, and then they all get killed, and then you're crying at the end. <laughs> and that's pretty much how the movie ends. <laughs> it's just like, why did I watch this movie? But at the same time, that was a true story, and they ended up having the Sullivan Act where, you know, they weren't allowed to draft all the men in a family because they didn't want that kind of thing happening. And that, I mean, I just can't even imagine how devastating that would be. So, you know, at the same time, I can see, you know, Jacob wanting to leave one, and he picks his favorite, Benjamin, playing favorites again. But uh, at the same time, too, we're, you know, we'll see at the end of the chapter something Jacob does. That I think is pretty bad. It's not a surprise that Jacob's sons had a lot of issues. You know, Jacob made some pretty big mistakes as a father. But look at verse 5. It says, And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him, with their faces to the earth. Joseph's first dream has just come to pass, where the seven or the twelve sheaves or eleven sheaves are bowing before Joseph. No doubt that dream has just come to pass, the one that his brothers got really mad about, the one they threw a big fit about, but sure enough it's happening here. They're all bowing before Joseph, but they don't know it. And it says, And Joseph saw his brethren. And he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him, they knew not him. Now, that might seem weird, but people can change a lot in 20 years. And then, you know, if what they say about Egyptians is true, you know, I mean, did they paint themselves up and do all that weird stuff to their face back then? I don't know. They might have done that, and that would make it tough to recognize Joseph. But people are, they are hard to recognize after 20 years. And uh, so, but Jacob recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. And so in verse 9, it says, And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, because he realized this is coming to pass. This is exactly what he had dreamt about. And he said unto them, Ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land. Ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come we are all one man's sons we are true men thy servants are no spies and so i think what joseph's doing right here is he's testing them to see if they've changed any because it's very clear from the previous chapters we've been highlighting just how wicked jacob's sons were i mean Simeon and Levi they were very cruel in the way they slew the men in that city Reuben lay with his father's concubine you know Judah uh, you know, he, he went on Tamar. I don't know if that might have happened while Joseph was already gone. It's hard to say for sure on that. But these guys literally sold him. They were going to kill him, and they sold him. So, you know, here they are 20 years later, and Joseph still loves his brother. He's glad to see them, but it's like he's he, he, he wants to know who they are and how they are and to see if they've changed And so it says in verse 12, And he said to them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land, ye are come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And so they're pointing out the fact that, no, we're all one family right here. And I think they're doing that because Joseph is accusing them of wanting to see the nakedness of the land Maybe, you know, he's, he's basically telling them, you guys are spies. You're, you're wanting to see if we're weak so you can, you know, bring in the armies and take us over. And they're just basically saying, no, we're all from one family. You know, we're not spies. And they're just, they're trying to defend themselves because it would be unlikely that a nation would send all people from one family if they were going to send in a bunch of spies. And so Joseph said to them, verse 14, This is that that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither, send one of you, and let him fetch your brother. And ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your house, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. So uh, Joseph, I think what he, one of the reasons he's doing this here too is you know one he's trying to scare him a little bit. He's wanting to see how they're going to react. But I think he's probably he might have done this because he wanted to know for sure if Benjamin was okay. Because Joseph. Knowing how his father was with him, you know, and knowing how they treated him, he probably wondered, what are they doing to my brother Benjamin after they took, after he was gone? And, you know, that would have been probably a real concern for Joseph. You know, when he was gone, this is the way they treated me. You know, they'll probably do some of the same stuff to Benjamin. So I think he just, I think he wanted to know for sure what was going on and wanted to make sure that Benjamin, was really okay, and so notice this right here. So because first he puts them all in prison, and then he decides he's going to keep one there, send the others home, and but they're not going to let the one out of prison until they bring the other brother. But then in verse twenty one says, and they said one to another, "We are very guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress." Come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter, and he turned himself about from them, and wept, and returned to them again, and communed with them, and took from them Simeon, and bound him before their eyes. Now I want you to notice this here, because think about it. 20 years has passed, okay? 20 years has passed. Now, I might be speculating a little bit here, but I don't think I am. And a terrible famine comes, and what are Joseph's brothers doing? They're sitting around looking at each other. Just sitting around staring at each other. Now, Jacob sees them just sitting around looking at each other. He's like, why are you sitting around looking at each other? I hear there's, you know, we got to do something. I hear there's food in Egypt. Go and buy corn in Egypt. I personally think... That Joseph's brothers thought they were being judged by God and were probably just freaked out. But they weren't going to tell their father, this famine has come upon us because of what we did to our brother. So instead of just telling their father, you know, hey, this is pointless, you know what they did? They just went and they listened to their father and they went to the land of Egypt. Now, that's speculation on my part. But at the same time, notice how when they go to Egypt and then this happens to them and they're getting accused of all this stuff, immediately they're thinking, this is payback for what we did 20 years ago. They don't know that's Joseph there in front of them. They're saying all this stuff in front of Joseph, not realizing that he can understand them. You know why I think they were doing this? Because what they had done was so bad, they knew they deserved to be punished. They knew that God was upset with them. And they had been carrying around this guilt for 20 years just waiting for God to drop the hammer on them. Just waiting for it. And so as soon as this this bad thing comes on them, they're like, we're getting judged. That That's pretty much what we see going on here. And Reuben's like, I told you not to do anything. His blood is being required now. We're going to die. It's like these guys had already given up. It's like they had already given up because... They knew what they had done was so bad. They had been carrying around this guilt for years. And so Joseph, he hears them talking about this, and he begins to weep. And I and I think maybe Joseph was happy that they at least felt guilty for what they had done. I'm sure that was probably a little bit comforting to him. But, you know, it, it probably was just emotionally draining for him, too, just hearing these guys talk about it and him kind of reliving this. I mean, this would have been a very emotional experience. And so... Um, after 20 years, immediately when something bad happens, they they think we're being punished for what we did to Joseph. And think about this too, because even though Joseph wasn't with them, they were God's chosen people, weren't they? They were, and they, they knew who they were. They knew who their father was. They knew about the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew about this, yet whenever this famine is coming upon them, they're not calling out to God. They're not praying. They had no hope that God was going to deliver them from this famine. And then here they are having problems in Egypt and they have no hope that God is going to deliver them from these problems in Egypt. Now, keep all this in mind. And so, uh, you know, because in, in reality, unless you're just some kind of, you're just evil reprobate, you know, you I think most people need to understand your sins against others will cause you to carry a burden and fear in your life that's just not worth caring. And Joseph's brothers were bad guys, but I don't think these guys were reprobates. And they did; they felt guilty for what they had done. And so, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this. I think it's important. You know, the title of the message tonight is, is the disabling weight of guilt. The disabling weight of guilt. Because think about this: as you know, believers especially, you know, we go through challenging times. But you know what? We always have the hope that God's going to deliver us, don't we? I mean, any time we're faced with some kind of challenge and some kind of adversity, it's always comforting for us to know that, you know what, the Lord can get us through this. You know, we might be going through some challenging times financially. And you know what? I mean, you know, I've gone through financial challenges my whole life. I mean, I've always been poor. But at the same time, I've always had hope. The Lord's going to take care of me. And you know what, He always has. He always has. But imagine being so wicked and doing something so bad that you didn't have that hope, you were just always sitting around waiting for judgment. Folks, that is no way to live. I don't want to live like that. Just always wondering. I heard a story one time, I don't remember who it was exactly, about a man who had uh, murdered somebody, I mean, like decades before. It had been I, years and years had passed. And then, you know, through some... Uh DNA evidence and you know new technology and things they did something and they kind of revisited that case and they found out who it was that committed the murder and the police literally they they showed up at this guy's house to arrest him. This guy had no idea he was coming or anything, and they said when they when they went to him and the police showed up there, the guy just saw him, and he looked at him and he was like, You finally figured it out and didn't put up a fight or anything, didn't act He almost act acted relieved because the man had been carrying the guilt of that for decades. And it was like, he knew eventually I'm going to get caught. Eventually I'm going to get busted. And it was almost like it released a weight from him when he got busted. He had been carrying that around his whole life. Folks, that's no way to live. That is not a way I want to live my life. And, you know, everybody's got things in the past. Everybody's made mistakes. Everybody's done things wrong. Everybody's treated somebody bad. You know, we've wronged somebody. We've messed up. We've made some mistakes. But, you know, if that's you, you know what you need to do? You need to just make things right. You need to just make things right with people. You know, I don't want to sit around just waiting, you you know, for a bad payday. I want to be sitting around waiting for the good payday. So I don't want to be... Uh, you know racking up you know just sins in my life look what it says in matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 It says therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thou that thy brother hath ought against thee leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift now we don't do sacrifices like this anymore but you know what i don't think god's changed here where he's saying Hey, if, you're, if you've got some kind of problem with your brother, if some, there's been some kind of falling out, if there's been some kind of wrong done to your brother, you know, that's not your time to go offer a sacrifice to God and say, well, you know what? I'm good with God, but I'm not good with my brother. You know what God said? Get things right with your brother and then come offer a sacrifice to me. That's what he was saying. And, you know, and there's a lot of people, they've got the statue, well, I'm saved, God's forgiven me of my sins, but you know what? God wants you to get right with your brother too. God wants you to make things right with him. And don't go sinning against people and then be like, oh, I, you know, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did to Brother Brian. No, God doesn't want to hear my prayer in that situation. He wants me to go to Brother Brian and get that fixed. That's what God wants. And we need to understand if we want to have the hope of God blessing us, if we want to have the hope of God answering our prayers, and we need that hope, we need to make sure we don't have a bunch of old accounts with people that need to be settled We need to get things right with people, and you know, it would do people a lot of good to just maybe make some phone calls, write some letters, you know, maybe go visit some people and knock on their door and say, you know, I'm sorry, I messed up, I did wrong, because you know what, I don't want to care, I don't want to go around carrying the guilt, I don't want to go around carrying the regrets, and I want to have the hope that God's going to bless me. I want, when I'm going through tough times... I want, to know, I want to know God's going to get me through this. I don't want to be sitting around waiting for punishment. I mean, how many of you ever remember when you were at home and your mom told you when Dad gets home, you're getting spanked? And it seemed like he was just never going to get home. And you did. You wanted him to get home, even though you knew you were going to get spanked. Why? Because you want to get it over with. You know, you just want to get it over with. And sometimes the worst part was the wait. You know, just because, you know, just the fear and you know a lot of people that's how they are it's like they're sitting around just waiting for judgment to come because they know they've got it coming man i'm not interested in that you know what i'd rather just swallow my pride and get things right and i think that i think that'd be the best thing and i do that's just my opinion but i think the reason joseph's brothers were sitting around when that famine's going on weren't even trying weren't doing anything just staring at each other they're looking at each other like are you thinking what I'm thinking? Oh, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, I think I am thinking what you're thinking. What are you thinking? I like, can't say. Dad's right there. And he doesn't know, but we know. Probably not going to do us any good to go pray right now, is it? After what we did? It's probably not going to do any good for us to go out and try to find something, you know, try to hunt down something, or try to grow anything. God's mad at us right now. That's probably what they're thinking in their mind And so they're they're just not even trying. They've already given up is what's going on. And so that's why as soon as they go to Egypt, this happens, they immediately give up. And so we all, because I think we all instinctively know that we're going to reap what we sow. It says in Galatians 6, 6, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So listen, if we're sowing good things, we can go forward in our life with great hope and optimism, but if we've been sowing bad things, we're going to go forward with fear and that's no way to live. Now listen, there's been some challenging times, you know, over the years and in the nine years we've pastored here where it was challenging, where, you know, it was tough financially. We were wondering how we're going to do things. But you know what? I've always been able to go forward just thinking the Lord's going to take care of us. The Lord's going to take care of us. You know why? Because I knew we've been sowing a lot of good seed over the last years. We've been doing a lot of good things. If we're doing all these good things for us, if we're sowing all this good seed, we're going to reap it eventually. And, you know, we're going to have times of famine. There's going to be times where things are slow in the church and where things aren't the way we maybe want them to be. We're going to go through some tough times, but as long as we continually are sowing good, you know what we can do? We can expect good to come. We can expect a harvest to come, and we will reap if we faint not. And that's the key. But, you know, a lot of people today, a lot of churches, they have no hope. There's a lot of churches, you know, whenever their doors, you know, every Sunday, I'm optimistic and I'm excited about every church service because I'm always expecting God to do things. I'm always expecting visitors to come in. I'm always expecting amazing things to happen because I know we're doing a lot of good things, but a lot of churches, I know pastors out there, I mean, that are just like these Eeyore, Debbie Downer, I mean, whoever the most grumpy, just, you know, doom and gloom person you can think of. I mean, that's who these guys are. And you know, it's like they they have no expectation that God's going to do anything. You know why? It's cuz they instinctively know he's not because they're not doing anything. Listen, you know, give me a field, give me a cornfield, and if I don't go plant any corn, I'm not going to be expecting any corn in the in the harvest season. And it's like a lot of these guys, they're out there and they do they show up for church, you know, and they go through the motions, but they're not expecting anything because they haven't been sowing anything. And Understand, we shall reap if we faint not, you know, or, uh, or, uh, you know, you reap what you sow. A lot of times that's used as a threat, but you know what? If somebody tells you you reap what you sow, we ought to say, thank the Lord. Hey, that's encouraging. It's encouraging we've been doing good things. But if you've been doing bad things, then you can just expect trouble. And I don't want to go through life with fear. I don't want to go through life waiting for judgment. The way I look the way you ought to look at it, especially as a Christian, if you have done bad things, if you wronged people, if you've treated people bad, if you've got a bunch of judgment coming your way, if it hasn't come yet, you you might have a place of repentance. You might be able to get out of it. You might, you know, maybe the Lord is holding it off because He's giving you a chance to get right. You know what? Go find that person you wronged and make it right. You know, go go fix it. You know, start. You say, well, I cannot do it. Well, then start sowing some good seed in your life. Yeah, you still might reap the bad, but you'll reap some good too. Start doing some good things and you'll be all right. See, when we have unsettled debts, when you have unsettled debts, the last thing you want to do is sit around doing nothing like Joseph's brothers did. Look what it says in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. In verse 1, we have a parable here. And it says, and he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. He's telling him, hey, you failed, you messed up, you're not going to get to be a steward anymore. That's a judgment that is coming for him. He's not getting out of this. Okay? And sometimes there's things that we're not going to get out of. You know, we, we did the wrong. It's going to come down on us. But notice what the steward did. So then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg I am ashamed. I'm resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write Fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fall, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Basically what this man did is he realized, you know what? I'm about to get in big trouble. So what I'll do... While I have this opportunity, while I have this window of time, I'm going to go help a bunch of people out. And then maybe those people will help me out when I'm in need. And that was a wise thing to do. That was a very wise thing to do. This this dishonest this steward had enough real wisdom to realize he's in trouble. And so he tried to help so he would have help when he needed. He's like, you know what? It's time for me to go sow some good seeds so I can reap something. You know, I'm going to go help some people and then I'll be helped when I need it, when I need it. And so some people today, they are, they are just living life, just waiting for the hammer to drop. They're just waiting for judgment to come. And it's like they have no, hope. listen, that's, there's no point living like that. Go do something now. You know, if it's something you can't fix, go do other good things. You know, if it's something that you can fix, fix it. That's it's so important. The last thing you want to do is just live with that burden of guilt. And as Christians, we especially ought to understand. I mean, thank God Jesus Christ paid for our sins, and you know he and you know we we uh, will never have to pay that eternal punishment. We're never going to have to go to hell. But at the same time, especially with our Christian friends, you know, chance, you know, hopefully amongst Christians, you can get things right. You know, there's some Christians that aren't very forgiving, but good Christians are forgiving. And if you if you wrong somebody, I man, fix it, make it right. It's you're you're gonna need it one of these days. So back to Genesis 42 in verse 25. So there's this, there's a lot of good lessons in there. Guilt is a horrible thing, and these guys should have felt guilty, and they definitely did. It says then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn to restore every man's money into a sack and give them provision for the way. And thus he did unto them. And they laded their asses with corn and departed thence. Now, I think Joseph did this for a couple reasons, okay? This is my opinion too. But I think he did it one as a way to test them to see if they would be honest and return the money. But I think a part of it too was I don't think he wanted his family's money. I mean, think about it. You know, Joseph, he's second in command. His family's struggling. He doesn't want their money. But there's another reason he might have done it too. This is just just my opinion. What is it that we've been seeing throughout the book of Genesis? Listen, God blesses those who bless them and curses those who curse them. So Joseph, as wise as he was, he might have been being a blessing to Israel on behalf of Egypt, knowing that God will bless Egypt for this. Because think about it, all this, all this blessing that came on Egypt was a result of Joseph. So I think this was a wise thing. I think Joseph had enough wisdom. Joseph knew about the stories about his uh, you know, uh, great-grandfather and his grandfather and his father. And so he's like, you know what? This is a chance for Egypt to be a blessing to these people, and God will be good to us, too. And so he didn't want their money. He puts it back in their bags. And so in verse 27... And as one of them opened a sack to give his ass provender, in the end, he espied money for behold, it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, my money is restored and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them and they were afraid, saying one to another, what is this that God has done unto us? They think we're still being judged. Hey, even though all of us are out of prison, except for one, we're all in trouble now because they're going to accuse us of stealing the money because, you know, why would they give us the money back? That's what they're thinking. Why, why in the world would they put our money back in our bags? So this, this scared them good. And says, And they came to Jacob their father unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spake roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. And we, we said unto him, We are true men, we are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you, your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone, if mischief befall him, by the way, in the which ye go, then shall ye bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So basically what we see happening here is Jacob decides to leave Simeon in prison. That was pretty much the decision he made. Now, uh, go ahead and uh, let me just show you a couple of verses in the next chapter just to prove this to you. And it says, and the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, that their father said to them, Go again and buy us a little food. So, you know, a, Israel does not know that this famine is going to last for seven years, you know. So while all this is going on, they're kind of like us, you know, thinking the country's going to open up next month, right? You know, we're always hopeful that at any time, Okay, now the powers that be, they probably know it's going to be a lot longer. You know, you know they know how long it's going to be. We're all kind of hopeful, for it, maybe next month. Maybe next month things will be back to normal. And in their mind, they're probably thinking, you know, hey, any, any time it could start raining. You know, Jacob's hopeful. Any time it could start raining. Well, the thing is, you know, if that's what they were waiting for, for then it's, it appears they had no, Jacob had no plans to send them back to Egypt. He was just going to let Simeon rot in jail. That's how much he cared about Benjamin over the one that's sitting in prison. I think that's pretty sad. But again, there's a reason that these brothers had the issues that they had. And so, uh, but it, again, it, it, they ended up running out of food. So he sent them back again. But notice how Jacob, you know, he's talking about all these things are against me. And what we are seeing here in chapter 42, especially with the sons, is a group of men who have no hope that God is going to do anything for them. Well, I can't imagine being a lost person and just depending on luck. You know, just depending. I mean, you know, we we wonder why there's so many people in this country that just have this attitude that, you know, they're victims, that they have no hope, that, you know, you're either born rich or you're born poor and, You know, we need the government to make everything right and to make everything fair. You know why they have that attitude? Because they're a godless people. People who believe in God, we have hope that God can bless us. We have hope that God can advance us, that he can make things better in our life. We have that hope when we're doing right. But even as a believer, when we're doing wrong, we know that God's going to deal with us. We know that, you know, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. We all know that type of thing and there are so many people today that are just living life just miserable, no expectations of anything good happening. I refuse to live that way. I I want to see great things in my life. I want to enjoy the blessings of God in my life. You know, as a church, as a pastor of uh, uh, this church, you know, I you know, I believe God's going to continue doing great things. You know, we I mean, even in, I mean, obviously the fact that we got this building this year and that we even pursued it showed we were expecting God to do great things. I mean, during some of the, I mean, when we think about how crazy it got this year and just how concerned we got about things, you know, we still had hope God was going to take care of us. You know, I was, I was convinced that, you know, and we all talked about this, that even if things get really bad, as long as we're doing the work, God's going to take care of us. And He has. I mean, we've, we've been very blessed and it's, you know, it's sad to see what's happening in a lot of churches all over the place. I mean, a lot of churches are probably never going to open back up. I mean, they're, uh, they're, they're done for. A lot of people are, are getting out of churches. Uh, I I won't say it online, but, uh, there's one church. I think there's like a Max Exodus going out of that one right now. Like, all the old people are leaving it. But mainly because they're going tr- just full trendy, rock and roll. And I've been, I just had somebody stop by the church here yesterday that's visited before. And they're just, people are disgusted by what's happening in some of these churches. And you know, I'm telling you, we keep being faithful, we keep doing what we're supposed to do. We're going to keep seeing great things in this church. And, you know, I've always felt like our church has had an optimistic attitude. We've always, you know, we expect God to do things. We expect things to happen, and but a lot of places they're not. They know they're in trouble. They know that they've done a lot of sin and that they haven't got it right, and they're too stubborn and they're too proud to get it right. And they're just wait they're just waiting for judgment to come. They've given up. They've got a fatalist attitude. We're done. Nothing good's ever going to happen. And but you know what? That's that's not my attitude. I believe that God is going to keep doing great things in this church. I want God to do great things in my life. And, you know, I'm not saying I've never done any wrong. I'm not saying I don't have anything coming. But, you know, this message has got me thinking about, you know what? I wonder if there's some people I've wronged in my life that I probably should get right with. I wonder if there's some people, maybe some phone calls that I need to make. And you ought to search your heart. Because understand, it's easy for us to forget about some of these things. But God doesn't. God's not going to forget these things. And, you know, the people we wrong probably aren't going to forget these things either. We better make sure we get these things right. But at the same time, though, there are, you know, I think most of the time, if we were honest and sat down and thought about people we need to get things right, I think we could probably think of them real quick. Because the stuff that we've done that's really bad, I do believe the Holy Spirit's going to convict us about it. And Joseph's brothers here, they had no trouble. You know, there was no argument about why they were dealing with the things they were dealing with. But what we see here is a group of hopeless people, but this is what's this is what's sad. Even though they were bad, God had a plan to save them from all those troubles, didn't he? You know why? Cuz they were God's chosen people. And what was happening with Joseph, God used that to protect them. And you know, we need it and thank God even though we mess up sometimes, we're still saved. God can still work out the bad that we've done for good. Okay, all that good that ends up happening to Israel, it was done. God used the bad that they did to make that good happen. Only God can do stuff like that. Only God can take something bad that you've done and make it turn into something good for your life. But I do believe one of the reasons the good happened to these guys, and I, you know, this, I'll probably I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll probably talk about this more in one of the later chapters. Is one I do think they got their hearts right for the most part. All right, I'll show. We'll see where they still had some heart problems, but at the end of the day, the real reason they were blessed is because of Joseph, who we're seeing a lot is a picture of Jesus Christ, and you know why we're blessed because of Jesus Christ. Not because of what we've done, but because he's forgiven us of our sins. These guys were blessed because even though they still had pretty sorry hearts, Joseph forgave them because Joseph loved them. Joseph loved those brothers even though they did all those terrible things to him. And thankfully, God loves us even though we're sinners. And when we're blessed, at the end of the day, it's ultimately because of Jesus Christ. And so... With that, we'll, we'll close with that. But you know what? Don't let that weight of guilt disable you anymore. You know what? Make it right. If it cannot be made right, then you know what? Just start doing other good things. Start doing other good things, and uh, and you'll eventually reap those things. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word and the, the instruction and the help it gives us. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help all of us to... Uh, just take this message to heart. Help us to think about the things that we've done in our life, Lord, and help us to get these things right, Lord. There's, if there's people we've wronged, if there's uh, people we need to get right with, I pray we'll do that, and I pray we'll be able to just uh, go on with just great hope and expectation of you doing great things in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.